Hello and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I'm Aaron and I'm joined once again by regular guest host Alicia. Alicia, how are you doing? Doing well. How about yourself? Oh, doing really well. Thanks again for the last minute uh, hand you, you gave Bree and I here. Absolutely. Today we are joined by author Danny Collins. Danny, it's been it's been a day or so. So welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And hi, Alicia. Hi. Well, thank you for joining us again. It's it hasn't been too long since we did the uh, episode two hundred, and we we're so glad to have you back. It was thrilling. I was so pleased with it. Thank you so much for having me again. Yeah, of course. Alicia, you want to run us through some icebreakers? Sure. If you come with a warning label, what would it say? Well, I had trouble with this one, and I went and asked my husband, and we finally, this is awful, we finally settled on fragile, handle with care. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Oh. You know what? That is one of the more unique answers that we've gotten for that question, though. What was the last song to get stuck in your head? Um, I actually had to look this up before we did this because I thought, what if it's problematic? And it is. It was, I was reading a list of children's books or not books, children's songs. And it was this old man and it got stuck in my head and I was going through all the words and I was like, what do those even mean? I bet they're pejorative and yeah, they are. So I'm not going to go into it, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh goodness. Some of those old songs. Yeah. The memories from our childhood, but then we, then we realize (laughs) what they're actually talking about. Yeah. And it's terrible because I know all the words and I'm thinking that's horrible. (laughs) Exactly. Um, What is your romance origin story? Well, I got stuck on this one because I wasn't sure exactly what the question is asking for. Is it how I became a romance author or? It's how you became into romance in general, reading, uh, rom-com movies, whatever whatever it was that, that tipped you into the whole romance landia. Oh, okay. Um, Definitely. I just, much preferred a story with a happy ending. And I first read my first romance that I knew was like, I need to read more of these books. It was called Roots of Love. And it was about a woman who went to like Scotland or something. I I don't remember the author. I was like maybe 12. And um, yeah, she went to Scotland looking for her relatives and basically got with a cousin, something like that, you know, a much removed cousin. But yeah, and all, I mean, I'm a child of the 80s, so all of the 16 candles, again, problematic, but still, they were, oh, they hold such a close place in my heart. I love them, so. Well, you're very well known for your amazing Harlequin Presents books, but this month, March 2023, you have your first Entangled publishing novel release, The Prospector's Only Prospect. Congratulations, and what can you tell us about it? Well, thank you very much. Um, I'm super excited about it. I didn't expect to be writing a Western romance um, historical. It was quite a stretch for me. Um, it was, I kind of fell into it. Um, my agent said, oh, this editor is looking for this. Are you interested? And I was like, oh, what the heck? Um, I'll, I'll write a couple of chapters. She'll probably hate it anyway. And then she went, oh, can we have the rest? And I went, oh, <laughs> okay. I guess I have to write it. Uh-oh. And I had so much fun with it. Um, basically Marigold takes her sister's place as a mail order bride and winds up in Denver as it's like basically a greenfield and they're just still 
starting to put up buildings in the Denver area. And mostly it's just wagons and a big old muddy mess. And she gets dumped off the stagecoach there. And Virgil Gardner, he's a miner. Um, he's got himself a mining company. And he actually accidentally wound up with his three children. Um, that's a whole backstory. His, he is widowed. And um, so now he's got his children and he needs somebody to look after them so he can work with his partners. And yeah, it's it's a little bit... Um, it's a little bit of a rom-com, but it's also very heartfelt. And um, yeah, they they just have to make it work. Basically, he initially says, um, yeah, I know you're you're not the bride I ordered. I'm not going to keep you. And she has no choices. She's already, her house burned down. She has no choices. She got on to this ma uh, mail order bride stagecoach because it was kind of her last resort. And so she says, look, I'll be your housekeeper. I'll look after your kids. Let's see if we can make it work. And then, um, yeah, they go back to the mining camp and see if they can make it work. Oh, I love it. I'm getting vibes of like Sound of Music mixed with a little bit of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, kind of. That's great. Yeah, I never thought of that, but yeah. <laughs> and a little tombstone thrown in there. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and a little bit um, Apple Dumpling Gang. <laughs> oh, I, I don't, I don't that know that so one. Long. Tell us what what's the Apple Dumpling Gang, both of you. Oh, it's tell, an old tell Disney film. It's an old Disney yeah. thing with um, Don Knotts, I think. And actually, oh, okay. when I say that, I mean that that was a bit of a farce of old westerns. But um, I also kind of based Virgil on uh, James Garner when he plays like Maverick and support your local sheriff. Uh, just that sort of hard done by. He's the smartest guy in the room, but he's getting the raw end of the deal all the time, and he's just like that up with it i i really love uh, virgil he's he's a bit of a hoot so i have it on pre-order so i'm excited oh thank you <laughs> how difficult was it working with entangled um opposed to working with harlequin how what was the differences and difficulties if there were any um no difficulties really i mean there's always that trying to adapt to a different system but even the system wasn't that different I had a, a, an amazing editor. Her name is Lydia Sharp. She's fantastic. Yeah, and it was just the the same sort of process of kind of a development edit and then something that drills down a little bit more. And then by the time you're getting down to the nitty gritty, it's the line edits and the copy edits and here's a PDF of it. And I mean, you get sick of your own words. You're like, oh, really? Do I have to look at this one more time? Um, but uh, yeah, there was... Uh, I would say the team overall, like the sales team and all of that, they're a little bit more accessible. Um, I've never really tried to drill into Harlequins to get really, you know, find out who does what. And, you know, I think it's just too big of a machine. They've got too many authors to manage. So I've never even tried. But um, but Entangled is really accessible in that regard. They're really great, really responsive. Yeah, and it, but it was a bigger book and... Because of the historical aspect, I felt a lot less confident in what I was writing. So um, that part was pretty challenging. But overall, I think I've never had, I haven't had anybody come back to me yet and be like, oh, you really tanked on this particular detail. I, I worked pretty hard to get the details as correct as one can in something like that. So hopefully it's okay. Yeah, well, that leads right up into our next question of what were the elements you found yourself researching the most for the prospector? Oh, I went down so many rabbit holes. Um, one of the first things was my my daughter. It was early in the, when I was very early writing it, I was talking to my daughter and somehow we got on the subject of divorce and she had read something about 
divorces back in old timey times and how difficult they were. And I immediately thought, oh, Marigold's got to be divorced. That's such a great um, backstory for her. There's so much baggage attached, especially in those days, because if you were divorced, it was really, your reputation was in tatters. So then I had to start going through which, and every state was different on how they did it. So then I had to start, I found, I think it was um, Pennsylvania, I found one where they really described how the process went. And you had to go to court and prove you were allowed, like that somebody was at fault. And she walked in and said, you know, my husband cheated on me, so we need a divorce. And he wound up convincing them that actually, no, she was the one who cheated. And then he wound up getting all their money. And, oh, and he, that was it. That he was like willing to reconcile. And why isn't she? But because, And because he was saying, I'm willing to reconcile, that meant that um, she was more at fault. She was the one that was wanting the divorce. And so he wound up getting the townhouse. She was broke. She moved to Kansas with her uncle and her sister, and then that turned into the house burning down and her having to go to be a mail-order bride. So, and then, and then she was also, to top it all off, she was working as an abolition, not working, but volunteering and working towards abolition of slavery and also a suffragette. So she was just nothing but trouble. And um, yeah, nobody wanted her. So when the house burned down, her uncle and her sister had places to go, but nobody wanted her. They're like, no, you're just, you're just trouble lady. So get on that stagecoach and get out of town. So that was a big one that I had to uh, research. And yeah, there was everything down to like, who, when did you, when did they learn to make canned goods? And when did they invent a can opener? I was constantly looking for those sorts of details. Right, right. What kind of technology uh, they had at the time and, and not, to, not to get any uh, mistakes in there on things like that. Exactly. And yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of authors get, oh, what are they wearing? What are they wearing? But this, I was very much, I mean, I figured out what they were wearing pretty quick, but then it was all like, yeah, what, what did they do? How did they make this work? What did they sleep on? especially because it was the frontier. There was no ordering it or, I mean, you did order it, but it took, you know, all summer before it showed up on a wagon. So, uh -huh. yeah. So how did they make it work? It was really interesting. As an author, you have had busy years and slower years. Can you talk with us and with our listeners about how life affects your writing and burnout and how that all affects your writing process? Sure. I, I'm a person who thinks I'm capable of more than I am. <laughs> I set a lot of goals for myself. Um, I do not recommend this. <laughs> it's I, I've accepted that it's a personality trait and that I have to learn to manage it a little bit better. Um, so at the end of 2021, I actually lost my mom and I really turned to writing to avoid really accepting that and, and dealing with the grief. Um, and in some ways that was great. It really worked. I just was buried in work and I accepted a lot of contracts. And then by the time I was getting to the, toward the fall, I saw that I was just hitting a wall mentally and emotionally, and I knew it was going to be bad. And, um, and then I got tennis elbow on top of it. So I couldn't oh, no. even keep up with the pace I'd set myself. I was just falling apart. And uh, it was really, really bad. <laughs> um, so I wound up having to phone uh, my editor at Harlequin and drop a book, which was okay, because I was about to, um, I had finished one contract, and we were talking about the next one. So it was basically that I just, you know, made a longer time, I skipped what it would have been my deadline, and then moved 
along. Um, and that part's demoralizing. I really expect so much of myself and didn't get what I wanted. So um, in terms of what my own production is, so that that's going to sting for a while. I know it is because I'm going to get to the end of this year and there's not going to be a new release and I'm going to feel feelings about it, but I'm trying to just accept that actually a rest is good for me. Um, yeah. So that's a, a, that's as much as I can really say. I mean, burnout sucks and it happens. Um, and the, the cure is rest. So, yeah. 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 You're, you're hitting a little too close to home when you say you're someone that thinks they can take on more than they can. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, Oh no, you're basically yeah. talking about me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it affects probably more of us than we want to admit. I think so. And especially now, like we came through the pandemic and if you came through the pandemic, okay. And not devastated, mm-hmm. like a lot of people were, then I think, we think, well, we, we're good. We're the ones that we're lucky and we can just keep going. And then no, actually it, it still has effects on us. So. Well, a bit more on burnout going forward. How do you hope to keep yourself from overdoing it or knowing when you need to take a break and slow down? Oh, um, I, I have to give a lot of credit to my husband who a recognizes that I have this terrible personality trait of wanting to do too much. Um, and he will, at one time, this actually a couple of years ago, when I talked to him about how many books I want to write a year, I said, I think I want to write between six and eight. And he said, I vote for six. So I think that he will continue to, you know, kind of pull me back and and ask, you know, question whether I'm making realistic decisions when I want to do more. But um, I am trying overall, and I've been trying for a while, but overall to just make time like physically put it, write it in the schedule that it is a day off or it is time for whatever it is that is not work related. And then really assess whether my pace of writing can, um, can subsist around in those narrower pockets. So I'm not forcing myself to just eat up all my free time and all my energy to create books. I don't know. Does mm-hmm. that really answer the question? I hope. Oh Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, as, our, as content creators on the other side of books, as readers, uh, definitely we run into that as well. It's like, yeah. oh, well, I'm going to read this many books. I'm going to review this many. I'm going to talk about this many on my YouTube channel and this many on the podcast. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Wait a second. There's not enough hours in the day. And yeah. then you just don't like reading after a certain amount of certain amount of books. You're just like, I'm done. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. And see, that's, I want to say a huge thank you to both of you for being so supportive as readers and giving reviews, because I think we as authors forget that that's a lot of energy to A, read a book, and then B, processes it into something that helps another reader assess whether it's good, you know, going to be a good read for them. So it's a huge service. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it goes both ways. We really appreciate the books that you turn out. Well, I had a, I had another question real quick about the prospector. It being a longer book and and you doing more of the Harlequin, you know, fifty thousand words. Did you have any moments where where you're like, well, that doesn't need to be in here, but in the, but then you're like, oh, well, well, wait, or longer word count, we can't put that in here. I because I've written for Thule and I've written longer books for them. I did have the sense. Um, like I have a good sense of what belongs in a presents mm-hmm. versus what, what is okay in a longer book. 
And mostly uh-huh. I love the longer books because you can freaking relax <laughs> and you can be a little bit more self-indulgent and say, you know what, I'm going to talk about this. What does the water look like in the stream right now? And this kid said this and it doesn't really advance the plot, but isn't it cute and it's fun for the reader to hear this or whatever it is. I, I, yeah, it was not a matter of, um, with presents, it's far more what you were saying where I'm like, this can't be here. Um, not it can't be, but I have to be far more conscious of, am I putting in only what belongs here? Is it, is if you don't mind me asking, is the Prospector going to be a series or is it a one book? Um, I've written a second one that is related. Okay. It's in the same world. Um, and I, hopefully, if if the appetite is there, when I signed the contract for the Prospector, it was a two-book contract. So hopefully the second one um, is something that appeals as well. And uh, then we'll see. All right. Fingers crossed. Did, yeah. Did we get to, do we meet? Um, either of the uh, the couple in the prospector that's going to be in in the second book. Yes. Okay. So I'm I'm just only being cagey because even though I've turned in the book, I haven't heard anything from my editor, so I don't want to say too much about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yes, the hero. You meet the hero in book one. Well, you've mentioned to us offline that you have used writing as self care as well, and you mentioned it a little earlier too. What can you tell us about that? Um, honestly, I think, I wish that I could say that I, to some extent, yes, I do process my emotions through it. I think that I I don't, I wouldn't say like, oh, I was grieving and therefore all my grief came out in scenes about grief. Um, it's more like I spend a lot of time in a world that is a lot gentler than the real world. And Mm -hmm. I think that that allows me, you know, gives me that space I need to breathe and not feel terrible. And then I'm able to cope with real life. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I think it just, for me, because I like to feel productive and feel like I'm producing something that um, when I get that rush, then that is also a sort of self-care. It, um, it brings me up as opposed to, you know, whatever terrible stuff that you can't control brings you down. So Mm -hmm. I guess that's, my answer? Sorry, <laughs> I don't really know how else to answer it. No, it's just just fine. You mentioned um, when we spoke with you last, along with for the two hundredth episode, that about imposter syndrome. So, how do you go about handling that when that does happen or overcoming that? I have the best answer. I just took this weekend, this recent weekend that we just went through, the first weekend of March. I took the Better Faster Academies conference with Becca Symes. And I'm going to spell that for any authors who are listening. B-E-C-C-A-S-Y-M-E. She has a lot of books uh, called like, the one that I read was Writer You Need to Quit. And it's about quitting bad habits, not necessarily about quitting writing. Um, And so she held this conference. She has a lot of videos. Look her up. If you're stumbling around in the dark, if you're feeling burnout, if you're any kind of struggle, at least check her out. Um, So I went to this conference, uh, sorry, it was online. So I was in this conference all weekend. And she said about imposter syndrome, that imposters don't suffer imposter syndrome. So if you have imposter syndrome, you are not an imposter. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I know it's brilliant advice. And um, the funny part of that is I repeated it to my husband. And he was just looking at me like, 
what's wrong with you? He said, I don't understand how you can open the closet and see hundreds of books because I've got all these books stored in our daughter's bedroom's closet. He's like, you, there's hundreds <laughs> of books with your name on them. And you, you think that you're not successful. You think that this is all going to go away. Like what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But um, now that I've read or now that Becca gave that advice, I feel a little bit like, okay, maybe I know what I'm doing, I guess. I don't know. Have you ever, in when you're having a, a, a tough time with a manuscript, do you ever go back and read one of your old books to, to remind yourself that you can do it? Absolutely. I do it quite often, actually. Um, and, but at the same time, it's just an excuse not to write. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, oh, I don't feel like writing today, obviously. Um, but yeah, no, it is extremely helpful. Um, I find it too when I'll be struggling along and it's just garbage writing and it's just a bad day. And then I'll get like line edits from a different book. And then I have to switch gears and do that. And I'll be like, oh, this is polished writing. It's actually, yeah, I know what I'm doing. By the same token, I can read all that polished writing and then go back to my raw manuscript and go, oh, yuck, when is this going to pick itself up? So it's a bit of a double-edged sword, but. Do you have a favorite book that of yours that you go back to reread? I love this question. That is a tough one. Um, well, okay. If I if nothing comes to mind immediately, then I'm going to say no. Um, yeah, no. I no. I'll just pick some like the current, the most recent book I just turned into Harlequin had some characters in it. Like I did a, that little thing where you bring in some old characters just so that the reader gets a little Easter egg. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, so I pulled those books and I started flipping through them and I was like, Oh yeah, I remember this. I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. So no, I don't think there's one that I always grab. Thank you though. <laughs> I wish there was. Uh, well, lately when you have found that you've had some downtime, what have you found yourself reading of other authors? You know what? I wrote it down somewhere and now I can't see it. Where did I put it? Um, I'm currently reading a book by Laquette who is going to start writing for It's a Desire. Um, the Intimate Takeover, I think it's called. Um, oh, which, yeah. yeah. I love that one. Yeah. Um, I actually, what I'm really excited because I've gone back to the gym. I, I hadn't gone to the gym through all of the pandemic or whatever. And this year I finally started going back. And I always read when I'm on the elliptical. And so now I've finally started reading more. So I'm, I've started that one and it's awesome. I recently read Amanda Cinelli's The Italian Palazzo, Pregnant in the Italian Palazzo. Mm -hmm. Is that the one? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. So that was fantastic. And, um, and actually on the nonfiction side, I'm working my way through Zoe York's uh, trilogy of, they're like... Um, Romance Your Brand, Romance Your Plan, and Romance Your Goals. They're just sort of career and series advice, how to do that kind of stuff. So I'm working on working through those. Cool. I, I like the title of those. <laughs> That's yeah. really clever. <laughs> yeah, they're really good. Really clear. <laughs> I'll be doing and, research after <laughs> on those books. <laughs> and and I love that you're starting the Devereaux series by Laquette. That those Book. They're so good. Are so <laughs> good. good. Yeah. They're so good. He has a beautiful voice. Like her writing is just beautiful. Really. I'm really enjoying it. Well, we need to congratulate you on your four weddings and a baby series for Harlequin Presents. The final book is coming out April 2023. How does it feel to have this last 
uh, this latest series come to a close? Um, it feels fantastic. I'm super excited for it. Um, it's always funny to me because of the lag. So by the time that comes out, I will have turned in, yeah, two books. I've turned in two different books to Harlequin. Usually it would have been more, um, but, you know, we covered that. Um, so it always feels so foreign. I'm like, I don't even remember writing that book. Um, but yeah, I'm, ex- I'm super excited. I, I'm just glad to have that little world out there doing its thing. I personally love series and that sort of, um, you know, a bunch of different couples all mixing and mingling. So I hope that it resonates for readers too. That's, that's why I write them because I love reading them. So I hope it works for them. And, and I just love that, that they're all parallel timelines uh, in the books. It's just, it just makes it so much fun just to, to have those little moments of like, oh, well, well this, this was happening in the other book when, when this was going on. It's like, I, re- I remember that. Yeah, it's, oh, it's full, full of Easter eggs. It's great. Yeah, I love, I love reading them myself. I do them. I write them. And I, every time I do, every time I wind up with books that are on those parallel timelines, I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? I am bananas. It's, it's so hard, but I do it anyway, because I guess I love it. So <laughs> that goes so into well. a question that I have, actually. Yeah. So, How do you keep it all straight um, with, since you do so many series, do you keep a binder of all your character names? Like, what's um, your process in that regard? It's usually a spreadsheet um, or a couple of them. Um, I'll do one with all the names and I'll literally, it's just a grid that has A, B, C, D down one side. And then across, it'll be book one, book two, book three. And then I start putting in all the names so that I'm not duplicating the names or, and I'm also like, hopefully mixing them up. So they're not all like B names or whatever. Um, and then I'll do a timeline, like a book timeline. And I'll be like, book one opens on April 1st and this happens. And then the wedding was on the fifth and they took, got in the air on the jet on the 13th, whatever it is. Um, so that I can match them up, um, over, you know, across the different books, if things are happening and I, you know, I can keep track of what's going on in the other book. Well, Alicia, do you want to take us into some backlist questions? Sure. Um, Which book from your backlist do you remember laughing the most while you were writing? You know what? Honestly, it might be, it might be The Prospector, which is not a backlist book. Um, it's definitely one where I have, there's two or three scenes that I just think are hilarious still. I'm trying to think of some of my older books. It's hard because I try to include a little bit. I like to include a little bit of humor in my presents, but that's not the focus. Oh, I did a trilogy for Thule, the Blue Spruce Lodge, and there was a lot of silliness in there. And one of the things, actually, one of the scenes that I thought was hilarious, I don't know if anybody else does, but it was real. It happened to me. I went to pick my daughter up from her friend, and we live very rural, and I got out of the car, and one of her dogs came bounding up all happy, and it had a stick in its mouth, and I just went to grab the stick. I was going to throw it, and I realized it was like the foreleg of a deer, just oh no bone. oh my god but i know but this <laughs> oh, no. live very rural and i was like oh oh <laughs> like it was so shocking but so hilarious um like where would this silly animal have even got it right so um yeah so i included that in the book because i just thought it was hilarious 
you guys sound really horrified by it. I'm sorry. We live very well. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's just reminding me when I was younger, my, my, uh, my dog used to do that to me all the time. Oh, <laughs> you would one, you would think it was a stick and it was like a mole or something. And I'm just right? like, yeah. drop it. <laughs> please drop it. <laughs> and don't make yeah. me touch it. Mm-hmm. It's the things dogs bring back to you. <laughs> Where did yeah. you find that? <laughs> Is there a book in your backlist that you feel readers have reached out to you about the most? I'm trying to remember. There was one where they kept asking about the secondary hero. I think it was one of my Italian ones. And they kept asking, is he going to Vittorio maybe? Is he going to get his own book? There's been a few like that. Actually, this recent, the book that is out right now, I've had such nice feedback. Um, So a convenient ring to claim him. There's been quite a few people who have said that Quinn and Micah's story is really sweet. So I'm really happy to that that seems to be resonating. Those are the only ones that pop to mind. Uh, for someone that is going to read your work for the first time, which book do you suggest them to start with? I know your backlist is long. Uh, my backlist is long and it's kind of varied. So I tend to sort of ask, well, what are you looking for? Hey, I will actually put in a plug for my website. Anybody who is like, oh, I don't even know where to start with her backlist. There is um, a button called new to Danny. I think it's actually, you have to look for the link toward the bottom of my homepage. Um, And then it'll give you some um, guiding questions. So like if you're looking for, um, if you're somebody who loves the billionaires and virgins, then obviously you want to come to Harlequin Presents and then you can drill down into more of those really obvious tropes like convenient, you know, marriage of convenience or whatever. Um, if you like the longer books, then I have, um, I think the Blue Spruce Lodge trilogy is fun. Um, if you like, I've got a little bit of erotica. So um, there's a couple there, uh, if that's what your jam is. Um, what are they called? Mastering her role and playing the master? I don't know. I've run out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> that's just fine. It's just fine. Well, plenty of ideas for some new readers there. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything you are working on right now that you can tell us about? I am super excited. I'm so close to finishing the third book in a trilogy for Thule. And this is called, I pitched it to them as Three Men and a Baby on an Island. And I got the idea uh, so many years ago when my aunt had gone to visit my cousin who works on an island in the central coast of BC. And it's a bit, at the time, it was um, what I understood it to be was basically a fly-in fishing resort. And I thought, oh, that's such a great idea. I'm going to use that as a setting. And then we actually went there as a holiday for one, my husband and I, for um, a couple of days. And it turns out they have a whole little village there and they're a marina and, um, you know, for boats that are traveling. And I just thought it was such a great setting. So then I thought, okay, three men and a baby, that sounds like a lot of trouble in the middle of nowhere. And I'm getting <laughs> really close to finishing the third brother's story. And I'm just loving it. So hopefully they don't come out until 2024. I am sorry, listeners. I really am sorry. <laughs> but yeah, but I'm excited. Oh, we are as well. That sounds mm-hmm. that sounds amazing. Can't you wait. had me with the tagline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, lastly, Danny, where can everyone follow you online? Um, in these days of social media drama, um, I hope that people are very keen to follow me on my newsletter. So please visit my website, 
I have two types of newsletters, actually. I have one that comes out every two weeks, and it's more of a roundup kind of idea with lots of personal information and like not information, but, you know, personal stories and excerpts and stuff. And then I have one where it's just basically my news that I post to my website. So it's a little bit more pertinent, a little bit more infrequent and short and sweet. So whatever strikes your fancy, those are both great to subscribe to. And then I'm on Facebook and Twitter and I've started TikTok. I'm fine with all of those. I, I don't spend a lot of time there. I will answer you if you email me through those or, you know, message me. Um, oh, Instagram, I'm there too. Uh, but I, I don't love social media. I do social media. So <laughs> yeah, I prefer the, the newsletter side of things. I'm much happier there. Wow, great. We will have links to all of the places where you can follow Danny Collins online. Danny, thank you so much for joining us again. You'll have to come back. This was so fun. I can't believe how fast thank it you. went. Thank you so much. All right, listeners, check the show notes. You can find all the places you can follow Danny online, as well as links to where you can order the Prospectors Only Prospect. <laughs> <laughs>